0: They sit in a small banquet room celebrating their accomplishments. It's the high priest Caiaphas and Annas and a bunch of yes men sitting around a banquet table after they've thrown themselves a party. There's grapes on the table and lamb and herbs and spices and delicacies and they're all kind of sitting there patting each other on the back when all of a the sudden there's a knock on the door and they wonder who could it be and why would somebody take the time to interrupt this feast on this day. They had done their God-given duty. They had killed that blasphemer, that one who had claimed to be the son of God, that fool from Nazareth who was trying to upset Jerusalem. It was time to get on. It was time to get the Israelites and Jewish people back under their thumb and restore order in Jerusalem, but that's not what would happen the temple attendant would knock on the door and he would enter nervously not wanting to be the one who brought the bad news hoping that they wouldn't shoot the messenger the temple attendant would slowly walk over to Caiaphas and Annas and together he would look at them and he would say your majesty your honor it's the Galileans they, they haven't left town yet. The one called Peter and the one called John, they just healed a man. You know the beggar from the gate called Beautiful? He sits there every day, day after day, year after year. It's been like 40 some odd years. He's walking now they think to themselves this is impossible we killed him the attendant would inform them that it was about 30-40 days ago and they thought the job was done When while you were out of town people here in Jerusalem saw him again three days after you had put him in that tomb the body went missing we thought it was a hoax but then for about 40 days he started to appear to people and and he said that he was going to go into heaven and there was this spirit that was going to be coming and we don't really know what happened but on Pentecost during the feast over in the east wing of the temple one of them named Peter stood up he preached a sermon and we lost three thousand that day three thousand of them have bowed a knee to this Jesus that we were supposed to be rid of right now I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this sir but the movement is growing and we have reason to believe that they just healed the man Caiaphas and Annas are equal parts enraged and terrified. They don't know what to do. We're going to look at the story that came before that story in our text today. I'll do a little review with you. Welcome to Acts Masterclass, verse by verse, chapter by chapter of Book of Acts. We've established by now that the Holy Spirit is the main character in the Book of Acts. Now, don't worry. When we start talking about the Holy Spirit, you don't need to be confused, afraid, or alarmed. When we start talking about the powering presence of God living in us, The proper response, when you understand it correctly, is relief. Why would we be relieved when we start talking about the Holy Spirit? This is a mystery. It's confusing. How does that work? Does it work in me or through me? We talked all about this, and we've come to find out it is the Holy Spirit who will live the Christian life in me and through me, meaning I don't have to do it by myself. There are a whole lot of things in the Bible that I can't do. I cannot become everything God made me to be, but the Holy Spirit in me can. I cannot overcome overcome my sin and sin nature, but the Holy Spirit in me can. I cannot produce in me abundant love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control, but I don't have to worry because when I walk with the Spirit and obey the Spirit, He will grow those things in me from the in side out. We talked about Jesus ascending into heaven and telling the disciples to wait until they receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, after three weeks, we got to the point where the Spirit shows up. And then last week, we talked about the way the Spirit empowered Peter. And Peter preached this sermon in front of the very same people that killed Jesus. He looks them in the eye and he says, be assured of this, this Jesus who you crucified is now Lord and Messiah. And then we got to go back to a little of chapter 2 before we can get into chapter 3. And we'll tear it apart really quick. Chapter 2, verse 13. 39 is where we left off last week. This is what happened. Peter, the end of his sermon, the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off who call on the Lord or on whom the... Or let me just run that back. The, I got too excited. Welcome everybody online, outside. We love you. We see you. We're glad you're here. If you can keep up with me, then you can study the Bible today. Okay, here we go. The promise... Is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 of them were added to their number that day. So we started with a core. There were 120, and we have now built up a crowd because it's at least 3,120. But how does a crowd become a church? Chapter 2, verse 42, explains that to us. It says, They devoted themselves the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and a prayer, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to everyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, and it's like, come on. On, who doesn't want to be a part of a community like that? You know, we've gone before in other messages in times past and we've looked at all those different elements, the, the devotion to one another, the selling their property, the caring for one another, the time in the Word, the apostles' teaching. I'm not going to get into those today because we're trying to make it to chapter three. The two things you need to know about this passage are, number one, the first three words of verse 42. If you are a Bible person, a notes person, an underline person, this would be a great time to underline the first three words of verse 42. They devoted themselves. How do you get a great church? Can I tell you something? It's these three words. We could talk about the prayer and the bread and the, uh, and the apostles teaching and the, all the different things they did to one another, but those things only came to life because of the devotion of the church itself. If you want to ask yourself a question, like a really troubling question that will mess with you and make, it, make you wonder if you want to come back to church next week, just ask this question right here. If every Christian in America was as devoted as me, how devoted would the church in our country be? If everybody at Momentum was as devoted as me, what kind of church would we have? You could switch out that word for devoted for the things we're devoted. If everybody was as hospitable as me, as service-oriented as me, as generous as me, as welcoming as me, as kind as me, what kind of church would we have here? What kind of church would we have in our country if everyone was as devoted as you? These words in 242 through 247 are also a great reminder that Acts is not a book about superstar Christians. It's about the Holy Spirit using ordinary people to build his church. We have a celebrity-obsessed culture. We're drawn to bright lights and people who stand out and Instagram and followers and followings, and people who are loud and clever and crafty and make a good video, draw people in. But can we just remember there are 3,000 people being represented in Acts chapter two. 3,000 people, we don't know their names. We don't know much about them. We don't know what was unfolding in their lives. But here's what we do know. It is their faithfulness in Acts chapter two that makes it so we have the next 26 chapters in the book of Acts. It is their daily, quiet faithfulness that no one saw, that no one wrote down, that no one paid attention to, that made the book of Acts happen, which means your life matters. It means don't ever buy the lie that your part is too small. Like, I'm just raising these kids, and it's the same thing every day. And I wake up, and I wipe their noses, and then I go to play group, and I, I help that one mom out that one time, but I'm just here passing time now that I go to work, and I'm just making a check, and I'm, I, I did the thing. I'm trying to make it better and brighter in Jesus' name. I prayed with that one person one time, but I don't really... If you are playing a spot in the story of King Jesus, no matter how large or how small it is, you are playing a valuable role. Can I tell you something? In the church, out of the church, in your life, out of your life, all of it matters to God. It's because of this unnamed 3,000 that the gospel traveled from Jerusalem across the ocean to our lives. Today, your role matters. I think this is also a good reminder for us to read this story with caution. See, this Acts 2, 42 through 47 has got to be one of the most idealized passages in all of Scripture. See, sometimes... We can read, oh my gosh, there's Sharon and everyone's in the Word. How come nobody reads the Word anymore? And everybody's, they sold their property to care for people in need. How come nobody's selling their property anymore? Uh, Sometimes, guys, as a pastor, I wish like, I I don't mean this, but I almost wish that you Christians had to get a special permit to read the book of Acts. Because it's so easy to go, oh my gosh, look at all this. And then you look back at your life or your church and you're like, nobody's doing that. Like I had COVID for a whole month and nobody even called me. And then these people are ready to sell off a field and all this stuff. But like, let's slow down. Let's pump our brakes for a minute. Let's not forget the fact that the church described in Acts 2, 42 through 47, thought Jesus was coming back in two weeks. I mean, think of the timeline from their perspective. Like, they, 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 they're all there and they're seeing all the stuff and they see Jesus and he's crucified and then the tomb is empty. And then for 40 days, right after this, so three days, he's back. He's here for 40 days. He says, hey guys, wait for the Holy Spirit. He ascends into heaven. Ten days later, boom, Holy Spirit. Now they're all believing and everything. And he goes, I'm coming back, by the way. They thought he was coming back in two weeks. How different would your life be today if you, if you became thoroughly convinced that Jesus was coming back in two weeks? Like when your boss sends an email and they're like, hey, we got a lot of extra work to do. We need everybody coming in early. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How different would your life be you know, when your neighbor comes over and they go, hey, uh, can I use that drill? Like, yeah, keep the drill. I don't need the drill. Like, hey, uh, I mean, your bank account? What are you going to do? What are you going to do with your, are you going to invest another dollar in a Roth IRA? If you knew, you get what I'm saying. It's actually, uh, you fast forward, get into the book of Acts, and you find out that the Gentile churches in this area were actually sending money back to support the church in Jerusalem because they burnt through all their resources in the year after Jesus' resurrection. So what do we do with this, okay? Here's your Bible study tip. Here's what we do. We need to learn that there's a difference in descriptive texts and prescriptive texts. This is an important lesson. There are parts in the Bible, passages in your Bible, that are descriptive. They're describing what happened, and there's ones that are, prescriptive. It's a prescription. It's what you should do. So if you've read the book of Proverbs, 31 chapters, it's wisdom. That's descriptive. In Proverbs, you, actually, you don't have to live out every proverb. You're going to pay for it if you don't. But it is describing what wisdom is like. Book of Joshua is describing what happened in that time in Israel's history. That's why if you have a friend and they go, well, if the the Bible's true, how come in the Old Testament this king did this bad thing and he was God's king? Well, hey, who said kings are going to do the right thing? It's describing the humanity and the error and the flesh and the stumbling that occur. It's describing. But when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, prescriptive. When he says you've heard it said love your neighbor hate your enemy but I tell you love your enemy that's prescriptive all that red writing in your Bible that's prescriptive that's what we are to do let's keep rolling here we go chapter 3 verse 1 one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. A couple of important context things to understand. He's at the gate called Beautiful. The temple had several different entrances to the places of worship. The gate called Beautiful. What's the Gentile gate. So uh, it's, it's people who had become Jewish through their belief system, but weren't born Jewish. And, and they had a lot more wealth because of their ties to the Roman community. And they sent all kinds of money in to have their gate decorated at the temple. So when they would make the pilgrimage and they would come through their gate, it was coated in brass. It shined. It was beautiful. It was the nicest gate, most wealthy place you could be. Which tells us our man in the story who is lame from birth, is lame, but he's not dumb. Because he goes, post me up at the most expensive gate outside the temple. Post me up right there because when somebody comes and they haven't been to temple in a few weeks and they're feeling kind of guilty and like, geez, I got to get there, I got to get my faith going. And then they see me, I'll be laying there. I'll say, sir, do you mind? And they'll give me a little extra. Come on, you've done that before. Like you messed up a whole week and then you, you come to church with a little, you got extra cleaned up and you're like, I'm turning this thing around today. A little extra, a little, oh, I'll throw something in the offering box. I'll do. I mean, we've all been there. It's like he's capitalizing on that. If you're a note taker, you could draw a 422. 4:22, because we're going to learn about this in chapter four as well. But in verse 42, we learn, or four, chapter four, verse 22, we learn that this man had been like this for 40 years. 40 years of sitting, 40 years of begging, 40 years of being carried in and out. You better believe, at the stone footer in the gate called Beautiful, there was a little worn-out spot from where. He sat each day. Chapter three, 3, verse 3, it says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk, taking him by the hand, he helped him up. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up. Taking him, highlight it, circle it. Do not miss this because it's one of the sweetest parts of this passage. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Who wrote this book? Luke. Luke was a doctor. That word feet and ankles became strong is this medical term that he borrows from his old medical practice. It's a beautiful thing. I Love for you to look into it, but check this out, taking him by the hand note takers here you go, write the note matthew fourteen thirty one and mark one hundred forty one because when we look back at Peter and back at jesus we 've seen some people take one another by the hand before. there was that time after a long day of ministry and healing, and Jesus needs some rest and he sends the disciples out to cross the Sea of Galilee in a boat and he wanted to get some space and to rest and he's watching over them from up on the mountain and it says that they're rowing and they're in one of those times where they're rowing and rowing and rowing and not getting anywhere. They're being buffeted by the waves and the winds. There's a storm and they can't move the boat through the water as they usually do. It's late. They're tired. They're just trying to follow Jesus's instructions and they're looking out over the sea trying to figure out how they're going to get to the other side when a few of the disciples see somebody stand On the water, and out in the distance, they start to get spooked. They actually think it was a ghost. And then, as the figure gets closer, they hear the voice, they recognize the person, and they begin to think maybe it's Jesus walking on the water. And Peter seizes an opportunity in that moment and he says, Lord, If that's you, tell me it's you and tell me to come out to you because I know if you can do that for you, you can do that for me. And what does Peter do? He could talk a lot of trash about Peter, but he was the one brother who got out of the boat that day and he walked on water with Jesus And then the waves begin to pick up and it's unstable ground and he's not really sure how he feels about this. There's no biblical precedent for this. It wasn't like he was doing something that he had seen Joshua or David or Elijah do. He was walking on the water with Jesus, but he loses his confidence. He spills. He falls down. 1431, what happens? Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. What do we do with this? Jesus wants to use you to help others in the way that he has first helped you. Here in this little moment with Peter, we see a beautiful gospel value. Part of Jesus' plan for tipping the world back to rights is to claim you, is to heal you, It's to nurture you till you can stand on your own and then to send you into other people's lives to help them the way that He helped you. I find that to be good news because that tells me that Jesus does not waste my pain. The hurt, the sorrow, the heartbreak, the disappointment that I experience when I bring it to Him, allow Jesus to bring healing and redemption and to stand me back up on my feet to help me up when I have fallen. He will then prepare me to go into the lives of other people. So can I tell you something? The disappointment you experienced this year, the thing where you did everything right and everything went wrong, that time when it didn't turn out how you wanted it to turn out, when that unthinkable thing happened, Happened to you years ago that still plagues you if you trust Jesus with it trust me when I say he will heal you he will redeem you but prepare yourself because he is going to send you into the life of someone who needs you he did it with Peter and he will do it with you too but there was another place Where we had Jesus reaching out his hand, there was that man with leprosy. We don't even know his name. We know he wasn't supposed to be around other people. We know he was quarantined. We know that he hadn't felt the embrace of his wife or children. He was off. He was alone. His body was decomposing off of him. His ears and his nose and his fingers would have been turning to dust right in front of him, never to come back again. He has leprosy. He's an outcast. They don't understand how germs work, so they just send these people off into colonies to die together but somehow out in this man's colony on this day he hears the Jesus of Nazareth is coming through town and he sees the large group following the man up front he sees the dust rising off of them he sees the way everyone's doting over this one, and he says that has to be Jesus. And he runs, and he throws himself at Jesus' feet. And I love the line because he goes, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus looks at him, and it says in Mark 1.41, he was indignant, and he what? Reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing to be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. The more beautiful thing than the healing there is Jesus knowing that that this man just needed physical touch. And there's Peter and John in the temple and Peter reaches out and touches the man. What do we do with this? Here's what we do. Jesus' followers do things that Jesus did. Let me like, let me clarify something, okay? Let me, there's a lot going on right now in culture and and politics and all that business. And like, I used to think I was an evangelical, but now I'm like, hey, careful with that. Like, don't get that goo on me. Like, I love Jesus. I'm saved by him. I owe him the entirety of my life, but like, I am not your constituency, okay? And so, am I born again? Am I saved? Am I a Jesus follower? Am I a Christian? Am I this? Am I that? Can I tell you, here's, here's what we do. Here's what we do. I don't care what you call it. Here's our essentials. Saved by Jesus. I know that he claimed me as his own and through the cross he saved me. I be with Jesus. I spend time with him. I hear him in his word. I'm attentive to his Holy Spirit. As I obey the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit transforms me from the inside out and I become like Jesus. And then I do things that Jesus did not because I have to, but because of the way he's transformed me. We see it in Peter. Claimed by Jesus, called by Jesus, reclaimed by Jesus over and over again. He spent time with Jesus. And I don't even know if he did it on purpose when he reached down to grab that man. But he had spent so much time with Jesus, he just started doing Jesus things. And what this story tells us, I was talking to my mentor, J.K. Jones, this week about this story, and he goes, it's supposed to be a reminder that we can do this too. We can have faith. We can cling to our story of grace. We can spend time with Jesus and know Him and grow to become like Him in His Word. We can be formed by the Holy Spirit. We can be people who do Jesus things in the world around us today. That's what the world needs. I'll get back to the story in verse 8. It says he jumped to his feet and began to walk. He went with them into the temple court, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who sat by the gate called Beautiful and they were filled with wonder at the amazed at the things that had happened to him. Can I tell you guys something? I have sat and looked at this story from every angle. I have been, John, looking at Peter, being like, you can't be serious, dude, don't do it. Like, if it doesn't go, we're gonna be embarrassed in front of all these people. And I've been the onlookers, I've been the 3,000 who stood up at attention when Peter walked into the room because they just were converted by his sermon. I've been the man sitting on the little stone footer with no legs that worked for 40 years, trying to imagine, I don't even know what I do to walk. I don't. Have the synapses I don't have the neuropathways pathways to do so but this man pulls me and all of a sudden legs are working underneath me I've looked at it from every single angle and what I've come to understand is we don't have language for the power and the majesty and the emotion that comes flying out of chapters 3 1 through 10 we don't Amen. it's a beautiful story it's a beautiful vision for life in the kingdom of God, and it is why, it is why, here's why. It is why we cannot settle for a faith that ends in the tub of baptism. Where was Peter 60 days ago? Where was he? Upper room, Jesus' last words and lessons. With fear in Jesus' voice, he says, can you guys come pray with me? They're in the garden. The mob comes with torches and clubs and temple guards and Judas, who was just with us in the room, is now with the mob. Jesus looks at him and says, do what you need to do. Peter was there. He grabs a sword. He's not even good with the sword. He swings the sword. The guard dodges, cuts off his ear. Jesus puts on the ear. They haul Jesus away. And it says that Peter followed at a distance. Peter began to distance himself from Jesus because of his fear. Where is this going if I actually follow him? And they pull Jesus into the temple and Peter won't go in. He won't watch. He sits clothing himself, hiding himself by a fire. There's a young girl and Peter, 60 days ago, is the one by the fire hiding. And the girl says, hey, you have an accent like those Galileans. Are you one of them or are they one of you? Are you with him? And he says, I don't know him. No, I hear it in your voice. You speak like Jesus. Isn't you one of the ones? I think we even saw you. I don't know him. I don't know him. A rooster crows. And Peter realizes what he has just done. And 60 days later, we have a beautiful sermon. 3,000 people saved. A miraculous healing coming from the same man who once denied Christ. What got into Peter? Can I tell you what got into Peter? The Holy Spirit Got into Peter. This is why we cannot have a faith that ends in baptism and waiting for Jesus one day. Baptism is the beginning. When I get baptized, I start my new journey. I'm cleansed, I'm forgiven, I'm free, and the Holy Spirit comes to live in me, and that's when the party gets started. I've watched people walk away from this thing because they get bored with their faith. Adults, kids, students. But I think what they walk away from is not the faith we see described in the pages of Scripture. They walk away from a faith where I pray a prayer, I get dunked, I wait for Jesus to take me to heaven, and in the meantime I work for Him. I, this is Acts Masterclass. If I'm going to give you a reason. You should always grab one of those. Those are free journals, free pens. They say momentum on them. They're beautiful. You get to draw the day in class, okay? Um, go to my first picture here. See, a version... <laughs> this is my drawing, okay? So start with the cross and start with you, okay? You can draw the cross and draw you, okay? Draw the cross, draw you. Uh, a version of faith that I was told is like, Jesus died on a cross, I believe in Him, and then I pray a prayer... And then I work for him while I wait to go to heaven one day. But when I get into Acts, when I read this vision, I see something different. See, Jesus, Jesus didn't die on a cross to fix me and make me a better person. My life isn't worth fixing, and I could never be a better person. He died to take my old life from me and give me a new life through the Spirit. That is that 2 Corinthians 5, in Him we are a new creation. I become something brand new. And Jesus died for me to take my life from me so the Holy Spirit could live in me. And this is where the sweet stuff happens. Now, now on the other side, I want you to draw Holy Spirit. And and you can do the dove. Some people do a dove. Some people do fire. I did wind because it was wind when we were reading chapter 2. Okay, you do it however you want. Uh, This is your creative freedom, okay? But when I add, so when I expand my faith to include the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, everything changes. See, the cross changes where I'm going. The Holy Spirit changes who I'm becoming. So it is by the cross. Trust me, I love cross. I love baptism. I love salvation. If you haven't been baptized, I highly recommend it because it's impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. And the cross changes where I'm going. My destination is secure and I celebrate that and I'm thankful. But the Holy Spirit changes who I'm becoming. And my wife and my kids would tell you that is just as important to them as where I'm going. Because if they have a father and a husband who's going to heaven but acts like dirt Monday through Saturday, this ain't good for anybody. The Holy Spirit changes me and makes me more loving, more like Jesus fills my life with that fruit that we keep talking about. Go to Galatians 5. Read about it sometime. I used to think the fruit of the Spirit were just so pathetic and wimpy. It's like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness. I was like, that's... I want power, control over my circumstances, charisma, good looks, a couple more inches taller, and some other things. Like, give me that. And I was like, what the heck is fruit of the spirit? Why don't I want fruit of the spirit? And then I started counseling couples when the marriage is on the rocks and things aren't going very well. And I realized nine out of ten times, if they just had one of those fruit that's there, like patience, or like goodness, or the ability to love like Jesus, the whole thing would be fixed. I looked at my life, and where are the greatest pain points and I realized like, nine out of the ten of them, or if I just had patience from the Holy Spirit, I'd be filled with so much more joy. See, cross is what helps me become... Or sorry, sorry, let me jump out. Let me jump out. Let me jump. Cross changes my destination. The Holy Spirit changes my destiny. My destination is now heaven, but my destiny, as I walk with the Holy Spirit... completely different. I'm going to be guided by Him and led into new faith adventures, new places, new people. Maybe people I'm called to love or people I'm called to go out of my way for that I never thought I would. And it's those adventures that transform me. It's through the cross that I become a Christian but the Holy Spirit empowers me to be a Christian. That's our community verse. Since we have now been justified by Jesus' blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? Translation like, Jesus claims me as his own. When I say yes to all my, I repent, I'm baptized. But the power, the power I don't have to actually live that thing out comes through the presence of His Spirit within me. The cross forgives me of sin. The Holy Spirit gives me power over sin. Come on, anybody been in that stage of their faith where you're like, these sins are forgiven, but I keep doing them and I feel like dirt when I do them and I don't want to even be doing them anymore. But when I walk, when I obey, uh, Pastor John Orper did an amazing job describing this in his book called The Life You've Always Wanted. And he said, the craziest thing happens when you're actually transformed by the Holy Spirit. You don't just do a better job avoiding sin or fighting sin. He changes your heart to where you don't even desire sin. And that's a different thing. The cross gets me out of hell and into heaven. The Holy Spirit... It's heaven into me. Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do I get heaven breaking loose on earth? It starts right here. So I'm going tell you a ridiculous parable, and we'll be done. I want you to imagine you go to work and it's like an office setting, cubicles, you know, people around desks, phone ringing, kind of like the office, you know, that sort of thing. And, and, and in the, the cubicle over, you, you know, you have that work relationship and, and, and old Herschel and you, you, you he's going to be Herschel, okay, this is my story, he's Herschel, and you work next to Herschel and old Herschel uh, has never gone to Disney. He's been in Southern California 20 years, he's got some grandkids in tow, never been to Disney. And and so Herschel tells you at the beginning, hey, what's your New Year's resolution, Hersch? And and he's like, I want to go to Disney. I'm taking the whole family to Disney. He's like, have you ever looked up tickets to Disney? He's like, yeah, second mortgage on the home. We're getting Ears t-shirts, tickets, the whole Disney experience, dinner with the princess. Everybody's going to Disney. And it's like, okay, uh, it sounds good, Hersch. Like, God bless you. And so Herschel's like, all right, he's saving up. And you hear him like, you're in the cubicle. It's our problem-free philosophy. Okay, thank you. Thank you. No, I'm no, I'm, Okay, this is my story. Okay, I can do this. And he's just happy and just Aladdin you know, and all this stuff and Herschel. And he's going to Disney. And, and, and the day comes and he saved it all up. He's only got one shot at Disney. He, he's going to leave Wednesday night, you know, do, do Disney Thursday. He'll be back at work next to you in the cubicle by Friday. And, and you come and, and the day comes. You're like, all right, dude, good luck tomorrow. Have fun. Tell the grandkids I say, hey, hey have fun. And so, so Herschel, you know, he's gone all Thursday. He comes back Friday. He's walking in with the Mickey Mouse ears and the little don't you know, with the thing. And, and, and he's just got a scowl on his face. I mean, he, he's upset. He's grumpy. You are know, like, I don't know if I should say it. And, and he switched from Hakuna Matata to Poor Unfortunate Souls from Ursula, you know, and it's like just grim over there. It's a bad deal. And, and, and Herschel, uh, you finally work up the courage to roll over. Hey, Hersch, you doing okay, man? He's like, yeah. I was like, Did you go, to, you go to Disney yesterday? He's like, yeah. Okay. Um, are you doing okay? Like, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Like, what do you mean? He's like, well, we left early in the morning, traffic in Amenheim. We had to park in Pluto Z 487 in the very, very back. And they got us in the thing and put us in the shuttle and then dropped us off at of the park. And we waited. In the I was like, was it raining? Like, you know, they give you the poncho when it rains. It's like kind of part of the Disney magic. And you get the poncho and things. Like, No, it wasn't raining. I was like, well, was there crowds? And like, what? Herschel, what happened? You went to Disney. You've always wanted to go to Disney. He's like, yeah, well, got the tickets, second mortgage on the home, you know, $700,000 later, we had our t-shirts, and we go in there, and I walk up to the little gate, I check the bag, they check my bag, the bag is good, we got our lunches through, and we got in the gate, and we didn't, you know, we put out our blanket, and I said, blanket? He said, yeah, we put out our blanket, and we sat on the blanket, and we, we just, we were there, and like, it was, it was okay, like, you know, around 9 30, we saw Pluto walk by, and There was this like cart being pulled by a horse, and and it was all right. And you're like, Hirsch, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, 12 o'clock rolled around, we pulled out our sack lunches, and I had a peanut butter sandwich with a Diet Coke, and just kind of sat there. Couldn't see the fireworks, heard them, but they were over the thing, and we were just sitting there. And then at the end of the day, somebody... Somebody came up and, you know, like we saw the Disney, United. they were real nice. They were sweeping the place and they said, hey, we close in five minutes. Let me walk you guys out. And he got us on the trolley and you're like, whoa, 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 Herschel. You didn't go to Disney. You just walked through the front gate. And, Hirsch, did you do the rides and Space Mountain and the Star Wars and the other thing and the adventure and the small world after all? Don't don't worry about that one. It stinks. But, like, the other cool stuff, like, you didn't do the rides and the experience and the bread bowl and the Harry Potter drink and all that. You didn't. Hirsch, what's the deal? He's like, "I, I don't know. I just wanted to sit there. You mean? You got through the gate? but you didn't do any of the beautiful, life-giving, adventurous stuff on the other side? You get it for Herschel. Do you get it for you? A faith that is simply a prayer, a baptism, and waiting. It's like getting to Disney, walking through the gate, And just sitting. And I just want to tell you as your pastor, your life is far too important for that. I don't know what you think about you, but God is absolutely nuts about you. He made you. He called you, redeemed you, And He has a plan for your life that no one else can fulfill. How do you get there? It is walking with this Holy Spirit, one step at a time. Would you stand as I pray, and we'll jump into one more song. Jesus, it's a big undertaking. to walk into your love it's a big undertaking to hear words like Holy Spirit and think that that is even for us and that we could walk in ways that are life-giving and free and forgiven that we could walk in a purpose and adventure that you could even redeem the worst parts and the most painful mistakes we've made and use them for your good by the power of your spirit Jesus we need you If we'll see any of this happen in our lives. So Jesus, today we offer you this song. We ask you to continue to work in us, to move in us, and make us free. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.